Brought to you by Fruitnet Media, this is Fruitbox. Hello and welcome to Fruitbox, Fruitnet series of conversations about the fresh fruit and vegetable business with me, Chris White. Every week I talk down the line from here in London with people from across the world of fresh produce about some of the biggest issues they face today. I want these 15-minute conversations, which we broadcast once a week, to give you the best insight into how to do better business in fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, this week, I'd like to turn our attention to the issue of sustainability and the impact that that the pandemic is having on how we might understand uh, what sustainability might mean in future. Today, I'm joined down the line from Melbourne in Australia by Gilad Sadan, who runs his own fresh produce consultancy business called Navico Global. Gilad, welcome to Fruitbox. Thank you. Nice to connect with you again, Chris. Now, Gilad, uh, you're a man of strong opinions, and I know that you've got some pretty strong things to say about this issue of sustainability and about how... Well, how businesses are branding themselves as sustainable when actually they're nothing of the kind. Explain yourself. What do you mean? Chris, um, I'm a bit of a self-confessed sneakerhead. And today I got a delivery of a new pair of sneakers that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to share with you. So they're box fresh. But um, this nice, is a nice new Nice green pair. ones. Nice green ones. You can see on the back that it says it's not easy to be green. Uh-huh. This is this is from Adidas and uh, other this is from other brands of sneakers are available. Yeah, correct. Let alone the box that it comes in, which is a green box and a box that says "end plastic waste," and the whole box is green, etc. So this is a pair of sneakers that has recycled componentry in it, so from retrieved plastic to repurposed leather and whatever the sustainability um, PR that comes alongside with it. And one, they look, they look funky, which I really like. And they also cost you about $40 Australian more than what the regular, the regular Stan Smiths uh, sell for. So I guess in, in, in a roundabout way, I'm saying that it's very much a way for people to express themselves in something that has become important to them recently. And I think what we're seeing now is that sustainability is very much something that consumers are talking about or engaging with or want to do the right thing as far as they're concerned. I think what the right thing is, is still yet to be determined. And I think people are still finding their way around what that really means to them and how they interpret it, how they perceive it. Um, And I think Corona has done a wonderful job bringing up to the surface what the true meaning of it is. And I think one example is that sustainability can, can demonstrate itself by actually not purchasing things that you would have otherwise purchased previously or things that have very little value that eventually degrade and just go into, into you know, traveling garbage type of idea. And I think people now, because they understand that they might not need it as much as they did previously and that maybe the money is a little bit uh, less available than what it was previously, so your purchasing decisions are there done accordingly, so they're not buying those types of things to begin with. Is that going to then upstream create this uh, trend of we only need to produce things that are really present value? That 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 I can't see happening because there's still a very much a, a, 
consumerism appetite that we're living in that people want to consume and buy. And obviously buy a new pair of sneakers uh, like I did now, I would have probably been more sustainable by not purchasing it to begin with. But we all we all share the same the same mindset, and we do like to to purchase new things, and we do like the feeling that it gives us um, in the process. So, um, I think I think that. So, so how many how many pairs of sneakers do you own, uh, or trainers do you own, uh, Gilad? This can't be your first pair of trainers, surely. I probably have a better part of twenty, but you know, <laughs> I've got. I've got no one to answer to anymore, so <laughs> I can but, fill up a whole cup. But 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 there's no there's there's nothing sustainable in that. Surely you've bought an, another pair of trainers that you kind of don't really need, but you like them because it's kind of wearing your you know wearing your uh, how should I say wearing your your ideas, wearing your beliefs, uh, not on your sleeve, but on your on your feet in this respect in the, in this instance. Um, you, do you really need that pair of sneakers? Sneakers wouldn't it? Wouldn't wouldn't the more sustainable thing have been not to buy them? Um, but then actually, the way you've bought them, I imagine you've bought them online. It's extraordinarily convenient, and and a lot of what you've been talking about over recent years, I always remember, is this is this idea of convenience uh, that actually it's all about grab and go um, when it comes to our sector, the fresh fruit and vegetable sector. Um, is grab and go now kind of click and go almost that you just go online and buy it? And what are the implications of that? Do you think? Um, and is it the pandemic that's uh, brought about uh, this change? If there is such a change that's happening, I, I was a big advocate of you know grab and go and convenience and small portions when packaging was really reflecting the consumer trend of the time. So if you looked at packaging as, as a silo and what it represents, it was there to be a fit for purpose type of vessel to what was happening at the time, which is, you know, people commuting on trains into the city in the millions around the world, back and forth every day. And there was a very fast paced notion to, to our life in general. Then Corona kind of comes in and completely upends that whole thing where we virtually globally have stayed indoors and in our houses for the last year. The packaging is still there, but the purpose that it fulfills is different now. The primary and secondary packaging is very different now where if you're selling directly to the consumers, it doesn't have to be as exciting as what it is on, on a retail floor when the purchasing decision is very much governed by that growing moment of seeing that piece of packaging, grabbing it and purchasing it. The product gets delivered to your house after you've made that purchasing decision. So really there can be no frills about it um, whatsoever. But people have now realized that there's a lot of other, other factors that have come into play that packaging plays a big part in it. One, that they're consuming very differently to previously, that they're, that they're suddenly, uh, their sentiment towards packaging has changed because there's a big self-preservation element there where the kid with the, with the, with the runny nose uh, is becoming public enemy number one. So, you know, wrap it as many times as you need because it, it's protecting me, let alone the masks and the gloves and everything that kind of has become, you know, the, the, the plastic bag ban of, of a couple of years ago now needs to be substituted by masks and other PPE type of um, equipment, let alone the fact that people have been cooking at home, eating at home, 
buying a lot more because of whatever panic buying, etc. And suddenly th- see, noticing that there's a huge food waste component um, that wasn't there previously. When people are very much on the go and it's fast paced and they've got no time to waste, then they don't mind throwing and emptying the fridge out on a Sunday with some of the things that have gone off because they're going to replenish it the next more, the next day when they're coming back from work. Suddenly, the money is, is not as available. Suddenly, you're throwing a lot more. So this whole delta is now being created where there's completely different elements that are pulling in different directions. Food safety being one, food waste being another one, packaging that has increased ultimately because of all of this. And the consumer is sitting in the middle, kind of seeing this whole bubble in front of it and wanting to make better choices um, for himself. And I think what people are realizing, I think these days that packaging potentially is part of the solution, not part of the problem that everyone has been uh, villainizing for that for that uh, long. You know, a plastic punnet kills a turtle and a bag kills a dolphin and you got to chop a tree to hug a tree kind of thing. So this whole thing um, is, is, is now part of the conversation where he, it wasn't up until recently, up until last year, it was in the background and now it's very much in the forefront. I'd like to come on to that packaging thing in a moment, but this issue you're talking about, about consumption um, and the, uh, you made, you know, the reference to kind of filling our fridges with stuff and then emptying the fridges on the Sunday with all the stuff that we haven't eaten and throwing it away. Um, and, and, and the whole issue of food waste. And I can see the connection there that packaging has, which as I said, I'd like to explore in a, in a moment, but on the issue of consumption, um, the industry is kind of, or the business, and all businesses in a way, are are engineered in such a way that they need to see a continuous growth in consumption, uh, that we always need to consume more and therefore we always need to produce more. Do you think that um, that the pandemic, in a sense, changes that? Do you see any, any in your opinion, do you see any, any shift in that kind of constant pursuit towards ever more production, ever more consumption? From the consumption standpoint, what I have noticed is that there, there's, a, specifically with certain commodities, that there's there's a big push. And I've been you know, part of that agenda with some projects that I have to increase the mere occasions of particular products. So if, if one was traditionally associated just with a dinner menu, like sweet potatoes and potatoes, how they can potentially be incorporated into other parts of the day, you know, sweet potatoes for breakfast, etc. Therefore, uh, or substituting, you know, there's a big trend with substituting uh, toast and bread with with a piece of, uh, or a slice of sweet potato and cooking it faster in the toaster. Again, a trend and a hack and a way to speed it up, but also a way of introducing sweet potatoes into your breakfast items. And therefore the consumption then increases that way. But I think the need to be more innovative around the consumption is, is greater than just pushing it downstream and saying more volume, therefore more consumption, more ways of slicing. I think the, the, the outlook on it needs to be a bit more well-rounded. Mm. And what, what about the issue of, of localism? I mean, you've been essentially confined to your home in, in Melbourne for the last 12 months. Normally you, like me, are on the road much of the time. Do you feel that... Um, I mean, and, and our experience is replicated many billions of times all over the all over the world, that we as consumers are going to start. I mean, there's clearly an interest. There was always an interest and a growing interest in local food. Do you think the pandemic has exacerbated that? And what are the implications of that 
if that's what you see to be the trend? I think the trend comes from a place of um, no, knowing that you can be self-sustainable as well. So you're not relying on other, on other things um, should the situation come that they're not available to you. I think people have become um, aware that the scarcity is okay. There's still plenty to go around, even if that particular SKU and that particular product is not available on the shelf. And if the 30,000 SKUs that you see in the supermarket are suddenly reduced to 20, it's still okay. You don't need to have um, six different types of toilet paper. It's enough that you just have one. So I think uh, perspective and priorities have changed and being able to be local and to see where your product is coming from um, makes you less reliant on things. But I think there's going to be a, a combination of local or global and local at the same time where you want to know that, that you've got that corner covered while you're still able to enjoy all, all of what the rest of the world has to, um, has to offer. But um, I think it's increased the interest in the quality of the products that we put in our mouths as well. And kind of having, I, I noticed through the Corona, especially with my group of friends, that there's a certain desire to find unique things within your local area or this wonderful bakery that, that's now trending because it's making these beautiful things that are around the corner. So this whole keeping an eye out for things that are breaking your routine and kind of giving you that enjoyment via, via food was very much a thing because there was very little to do otherwise. So um, I think the whole foodie scene and, and the whole culinary scene has, has, seen a, has seen an absolute you know, renaissance with people sharing recipes and micro businesses of people cooking from their backyard with produce and handing and distributing it around the neighborhood within their five, magnificent things, wonderful um, things. So, you know, but, but I, I don't a, see. Sorry, go ahead. I don't see, uh, I, I can't predict a pendulum effect of an on and off where, you know, before Corona, it was full on, then Corona stopped it. And then after it's going to go back to full on situation like it was previously. I think it's going to be nice and slow and steady. And um, it's not going to be a, a boom straight afterwards. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but one of the things that I think the pandemic has shown, and this is a, a kind of contrary view in a way, is that actually the global supply chains have been incredibly resilient uh, but you know but for problems like the Suez Canal being blocked for a, a week or so but actually uh, it strikes me as remarkable that I can go to my local supermarket and I still find uh, them full of produce and produce that's not coming from you know necessarily only from a few miles away uh, but actually from all over the world um, you talked about this pendulum swing as it were from where we were to where we might rest as it were when the pendulum kind of comes to a well when it swings back somewhere where where do you see that uh, kind of happening i mean this 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 combination of local and global you talked about global how do you see that working out uh, and and actually to come on to the kind of the next point which was about how, what what role is packaging going to play in all of this, because packaging is really, you know, your, um, as it were, your, your, the area where you're spending or have spent a great deal of your time. I think, I've, like I mentioned earlier, and, and that's something that I'm very passionate about is that packaging 
now has the opportunity to really showcase that it is part of the solution and not part of the problem of being the villain that it's been portrayed to be in, in, in the last decade or so. But it has to be fit for purpose. It has to be justified. It has to be critiqued. It has to do the exact job that it needs to be, not too much and not too little for that specific application that it does, where previously anyone could do really whatever they want and any greenwashing uh, statements can be done and people will just you know throw magic dust and people will think that that's the holy grail that's going to fix all of the world's problems. That's simply not the case, will never will be the case. Packaging always has a place, plastics always had a place, other formats and substrates always have a place, but they need to be re-evaluated. And I think what's happening now is that all the companies, all the corporate businesses, as well as the retailers, as well as the consumers are now pushing in the, into the center to say, okay, but justify it to make sure that it does what it needs to do and doesn't, you know, kill the turtles unnecessarily or, or you know, to make, to make an exaggerated point. But mm. um, And, and um, how should I put it? Uh, I, I'm interested by by this thing that actually packaging has a place because it seems to me that um, after the pandemic, the the focus is going to shift much much more on to climate change. Uh, that's the that's the next big thing that we face as a as a global community. And and if anything, um, the pandemic has shown us that we can all be affected by something in a very similar way and climate change will be affecting us in a very similar way that's what we've heard from from president biden that's what we're hearing uh, from leaders all over the world um packaging remains does it not kind of in the crosshairs of 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 people because they realize that actually packaging to a certain extent is is wrong how do we tell them or how do we get them to understand that actually packaging is right is it a question of finding the right packaging one well, thing it's finding the right packaging and secondly it's understanding brand owners understanding that the packaging is the best advertising vessel that they have so on pack communication and being very vocal or, or, or visual about it is the is the time to do so because as much as it's nice to put a small triangle with a symbol inside it in very 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 small uh, embossment on the planet that doesn't cut it anymore. The consumer needs to be able to make a decision about the disposal of the product as quickly as what he made the, the decision to purchase it in the first place. Look at it quickly. Where does it go and what purpose does it do? Let alone educate the consumer of how the product was produced to begin with. So in, in a plastic world and an environment, showcasing to them what recycled component is in it or what other other products have been taken out of the recycling stream and valorized to be put back into the uh, into the products. But make it clear and make it just as strong of a point in the hierarchy of message as what the variety is and what the country of origin is and what the shelf life of is. It, it's, you know, it's becoming more and more important almost as a marketing technique to say, you know, I'm a great eating product. I was grown in a very sustainable way and no chemicals and no GMO and no, no. And the packaging that I'm in supports my brand of being environmentally conscious and doing the right thing by the environment and Greta approved packaging ultimately. But, so she would have given it. But, 
but don't you face a fundamental problem that actually in the consumer's mind uh, as they face the product on the on the shelf that actually they see paper is good plastic is bad and and that's actually the the battle to be had uh between plastic and and paper the trend at the moment now is that brown is the new green is very much it and and hence why my my choice of uh attire for the for this evening it's very much the trend it's very much that moment that trigger point in your head saying brown is earthy it's craft it's tree it's got to be better for the environment and that's really the the, the bandwidth in each everywhere every marketer is kind of hitting that nerve what seems to happen with packaging companies and specifically with plastics is that they're feeling the pinch and they're actually actively trying to reposition themselves in in making making people understand that they are an important part of the value chain. The most interesting part of this whole discussion is that the produce industry is the only one that really suffers from this discussion more than many, many other categories. Like you don't see this discussion in FMCG where you can buy a cereal packet of 15 of them inside a box that is inside a box that is inside a pallet. That is... No one seems to care about that because they've got this small crackers thing that they can put in the kid's lunchbox. You then move that to the fresh produce industry and everything's gone out the window. So apparently there's this connect between fresh and therefore can't be packaged appropriately. So it's it's specifically for our, our neck of the woods, we, we're more heavily scrutinized than any other part of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a subject that I'd like to explore more on uh, Fruitbox in future episodes. It's fascinating stuff. Gilad, thank you so much for joining me down the line from uh, Melbourne. Thank you for having me. I was joined down the line by Gilad Sadan of Navico Global. Thanks again for coming on Fruitbox, Gilad. Now, you can find today's conversation with Gilad and the many others I'm having here at Fruitbox on our website, fruitnet.com. If you disagree or agree with what you've just heard, then let me know. We post every, every episode at our website and also share every episode through my profile on LinkedIn. So join the debate there and reshare with your followers too. Now, let me know if you've got anything more uh, uh, that you'd like to talk about uh, and to hear discussed here on Fruitbox. And do stay tuned and can you continue to make Fruitbox your regular listen. And a big thanks from me in advance for listening in. That was Fruitbox, and this is Chris White. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. To sponsor a future episode, please email advertising at fruitnet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Fruitnet Live. And don't forget you can keep up to date with all the latest fresh produce industry news at fruitnet.com.